0: Welcome to Frontline Church, South OKC's podcast, where each week we upload a new sermon from our sermon series. If you have any questions or concerns or need prayer for anything, feel free to reach out at hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you. The scripture for today's sermon comes from John chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. The word of God speaks to us. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. This is God's word
1: to us. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys can grab a seat. I've had had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Aaron Addison. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline South. And as Andrew was talking about, we are in the middle of a series called Feminine Virtue. And the reason we're taking some time to really focus on feminine virtue, on what it means to be a woman, is because we firmly believe that God has a beautiful vision for what it means to be a woman. We believe that God actually paints this beautiful picture of the glory of womanhood and In our moment, and really even in the moment when the Bible was written, there are voices, competing voices out there that you hear all the time. Uh, I think of when the Bible was written, um, the vision of what a woman was was very different than the beautiful picture that God gave of women as almost these like co-rulers in the world who are, are valuable and have dignity. And even today, The Bible's voice, God's voice on what it means to be a woman just stands apart. And I just want to say women, one of the reasons we're doing this is we recognize there are voices out there constantly telling you who you should be, what you should look like, what you should do. And here this morning, I don't want to just add another voice to that. My hope in prayer is that God's voice would just be the loudest voice of who he's made you to be, of his vision for womanhood, of you as his daughter and what that looks like. And so coming into today, I just, I just want to start with that. of just like, hey, I'm not here to add a bunch of tricks or tips or whatever, as much as I just want you to get a small glimpse of the beauty and glory of womanhood that God has painted for us in Scripture. And so we talked about last week, The way we kind of talked about that is Pastor Josh walked us through women as life givers. And that being whether women are physical mothers or spiritual mothers, the way that women were created is to actually bring life to us, to the world around them. And today we're going to look at women as sisters, women as sisters. Now, I understand that kind of coming to the room. Family relationships aren't like, you know, the best relationships we have. Uh, They tend to be broken. Uh, They tend to be messy, Uh, especially sibling relationships. Like, I know I have four brothers, and those relationships are messy. They're some of the most messy relationships in my life and have been in my entire life. And this has really been the case since the beginning, since the very beginning of creation, uh... Brothers and sisters, siblings, have been at odds with one another. Relationships have been fraught. And so you think of, even from the very beginning, the very first act of violence was a brother against a brother. Uh, in, in the same book in Genesis, later on, there are two sisters who end up married to the same man, and oddly enough, and they use childbearing as a weapon in their feud against one another. And even in Genesis, the climax of that book, you have a group of brothers who sell their youngest brother into slavery and tells their dad that he died. So sibling relationships are a little bit messy, and Jesus himself had really messy relationships with his siblings. So when he was uh, on earth in his ministry, there was a point in time where he just was attracting so many crowds, people were crowding him everywhere because he was performing these miracles. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. He was doing things no one else had done. And all these people everywhere, it's like he tried to go out to eat. People are crowding him. He tried to go home and sleep. People are trying to push into his house like, Jesus, teach us, heal us. And in the midst of all of that excitement, there were a group of people who thought he was out of his mind. And that was his family, his siblings, his brothers, Now, spoiler alert, they do come around. Eventually, Jesus' siblings actually worship him as God, and some of them even later on serve as leaders in the church. But at first, they couldn't quite make sense of what their brother was up to. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of of his mind. And at the same time, they kind of wanted to take advantage of his power for their own benefit, right? He's like, hey... They're like, hey, our brother is a miracle worker. Let's use this to our advantage, right? We're his family. We can actually use this. But in the midst of this, in the midst of his family even trying to come and speak sense to him, Jesus took a moment to radically reshape the way that we understand family and the way that we understand brothers and sisters or sibling relationships. And Jesus didn't abolish the family. He didn't say it doesn't matter. He didn't minimize the importance of family. But he expanded what it means to be a family and what it means to be brothers and sisters. So Matthew 12, here's what uh, it says. It says, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And they were coming to say, Jesus, you're out of your mind. All these people are following you. You need to stop saying the stuff you're saying. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is astounding for a number of reasons, not least of all because uh, this is really big for a Jew um, in that day, because uh, in some ways, for a Jewish person like Jesus, the promises of God were kind of bound up in how we understood family. Like, one way you could kind of say it was family were kind of like the boundaries for who received God's promises. Who, who your family was was actually really important But Jesus kind of flips that on its head to where now he says, actually, God's promises are the boundaries for how we define family. God's promises now define that. And so Jesus, he looks at his disciples and he says, here is my family, here are my brothers and sisters, those who hear God's word and do it. So for Jesus, family was more than just flesh and blood. Family was redefined now around the kingdom of God and around the promises of God. So in other words, family took on this spiritual dimension. Now, it still has a physical thing. So Jesus isn't saying ignore your physical family. But what he's saying is there's a spiritual reality now that goes deeper even than our physical attachments to family. That those who follow Jesus, those who hope in him have now become sisters and brothers and mothers in the kingdom of God. So here's what that means is that in the beginning there's these sibling relationships that are all broken that kind of symbolize the way that we are at odds with one another. And Jesus, when he reconciles us to God, when he makes us right with God, he doesn't just do that. He doesn't just forgive us and move on. He reconciles us to one another. And he brings us into a family. And this is central to how we understand the gospel. Because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, we are adopted into God's family. We are welcomed into God's family. And this radically changes the way that we understand our identity. It changes and reframes the way that we see ourselves. So here's what that means. If you have faith in Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then those sitting next to you share a bond with you that goes as deep and even deeper than the bond we share with our physical families. And that's the case even if you don't know the person sitting next to you. This redefinition of family is so crucial that, get this, the primary way that the Bible describes followers of Jesus is as family, as brothers and sisters. More than it calls us Christians, more than it calls us disciples, more than it even describes us as those who are in Christ, the Bible calls us brother and sister. Over 200 times reminds us that in the kingdom of God, we are brothers and sisters. He redeems what it means to be a brother and sister and reconciles us back together. Now, here's what I believe. I think God has a beautiful vision of the family of God and what we experience, the blessing we experience as brothers and sisters. And really what we mean by that is as spiritual friends. And what I would say is that God created us for spiritual friendship. God created us for spiritual friendship. And so this means that when we look at someone and we call them brother Or sister, it's not just some throwaway sentimentality or way of saying like, hey, we're buddies or cool or anything like that. It is a reality, a gospel reality that we stand in. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together, where I think he just hits this so beautifully and powerfully, where he says, Christian brotherhood, and by brotherhood, he's meaning brotherhood and sisterhood together. He says, Christian brotherhood, is not an ideal which we may realize. So what he means is, it's not some like standard that it's like, hey, let's try to live into Christian brotherhood. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So here's the truth of it: whether we like it or not, if we are in Christ, we are brothers. And sisters. We don't even live into that. We are brothers and sisters, and we need each other. We need each other. And women, as our sisters, play a crucial role in each one of our lives. And here's what I I, I just want you to get is that all of us, whether you are a man or a woman in the room, you need sisters you need the spiritual friendship that women offer us. You need that in your life as just a human being, and you need that in your life as a follower of Jesus. And I can think of no better place to kind of explore this idea in scripture than the lives of two sisters that we see, Mary and Martha. Now, if you've been in church for any amount of time, You've probably heard of Mary and Martha and the time that Martha kind of anxiously served while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and you've probably kind of heard it in a way that was like, hey, Martha bad, and Mary good, or or whatever, which is not actually the point, right? One of the beautiful things about Mary and Martha is that they're very different women, and they show us really the breadth of womanhood, Right? You have Martha that in the small glimpses of her life, Martha, she seems like she's a hard worker, seems like she's a great cook because she keeps cooking food and serving food to people. Um, she seems like she, uh, she's really theologically grounded. Later on, even in our thing, she kind of engages theological conversations with Jesus. And when we see her, even in the midst of her brother dying in a moment that we're going to read, she doesn't seem overly emotional. Uh, she seems pretty grounded, right? But then you look at Mary and you see a very different picture. Someone who's okay with just sitting at the feet of Jesus, contemplating. Someone who would rather spend time with people than probably get things done around the house. Uh, Someone who, in the midst of grief, is falling down weeping. Like These are very different women, but actually both hold up a beautiful picture of womanhood. Both actually display the breadth and beauty of what it means to be a woman. And so in this story, we're going to kind of jump around in John 11 and John 12, but in this story, we see Mary, Martha and their brother Lazarus. and they're all close friends of Jesus. And it kind of it's probably fair to say that Jesus actually saw them as siblings, as really, really deep, close friends. Uh, so in John 11 uh, verse five, John describes their relationship with Jesus, and it says, Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, I know what you are thinking. Jesus loves everybody, right? Uh, And that's true. That's 100% true. But it's important to recognize this. In, In John, in the Gospel of John, this language of loved is used very rarely to talk about Jesus loving somebody. And when it is, it's used to describe deep intimacy and friendship, which is why John, who actually wrote this gospel, the only other person he says this about is himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And what he means by that is he's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's really close to Jesus. So when we come to this and we see Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus, Jesus had A profoundly deep relationship with them. He loved them. He knew them. He probably saw them as his own brother and sisters. They had a spiritual friendship together. And one day, Lazarus gets deathly sick, and the sisters send for their close friend, Jesus. And before Jesus arrives, Lazarus dies. And as the scene unfolds, I think that we get a glimpse into the power of sisterhood. So what I want to do is I'm just going to make a few observations and really just want to commend the faith of of Martha and Mary to you. And so uh, just a few things notice out of this. First thing I want you to see is the tenacity of sisterhood. The tenacity of sisterhood. So when Jesus arrives on the scene, Lazarus has been dead for several days now. And hearing that Jesus was coming, Martha went out to see him. And I want you to just sit and picture this. Martha reached out to Jesus a while ago now. A man that she considered her brother, a man that she considered her close friend, a man that she's literally seen seen him heal diseases, heal things that Lazarus had with just a word. She's seen it, and he could have made it in time, but he was a no-show. He didn't show up. Like, how do you think she might respond in that? Like, I, I would expect her to probably rip into Jesus, right? Like, hey, Jesus, where were you? And it actually seems like she starts there, but then it just, it takes an unexpected turn. So in John 11, verses 21 and 22, let's read it. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is astounding to me. In the midst of grief and anger and sadness, Martha stays faithful to Jesus. Like, in some ways, it's almost like she's saying this. It's like she's saying, Jesus, you let me down. Jesus, you didn't come through. But even now, I trust you. Even now, I trust you. Martha displays something here that I think is uniquely displayed and highlighted in sisterhood and that's what i want to call this tenacity and what i mean by this is this faithful grounding this long suffering determination a tenacity that like martha shows that doesn't water down pain but remains steadfast through it now women let me just pause for a second here and say that maybe you feel like you're walking through the shadow of death and I don't know what that is for you. I don't know if that's miscarriages, infertility. I don't know if that's broken relationships and marriages. I don't know if that's you're single and you're longing to be married, and it just seems like maybe that's not going to happen. I don't know if it's just the disappointment of life, or maybe it's death itself like it was for Martha. Martha. And I think one of the beautiful things about Scripture is, is there's nothing I can say to fix that, but Scripture gives us example after example of, after example of women who've gone through the fire and have remained steadfast and faithful throughout. Women who might actually know what you're feeling. Scripture gives us examples of sisters that went before us and they press us on in the faith. That teach us, like Martha, that we can actually voice disappointment and voice hope at the same time. Martha displays that for us as a sister. And there are examples over and over and over again of faithful women throughout Scripture. But the passage goes on and Jesus is talking with Martha and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And again, don't lose sight of this. Martha's brother just died. And he says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, I, I would imagine her going, Lazarus believed in you and he died. But what does she say? She says, yes, Lord, I believe. There is a tenacity that our sisters show, and that's why I love that word. It's not just a faithful grounding for themselves, But her sisters actually move that and offer that tenacity towards others. The tenacity of sisters leads them to actually prevail upon us, right? They remind us that there's something worth holding on to even when all other hope seems gone. Sisters, they faithfully encourage us to press on when we begin to lose hope. It's what sisters do. Uh, again, Bonhoeffer, uh, in his book, he, again, he kind of talks about brotherhood in a very broad sense, but I think it, it hits in with sisters in particular when he says, therefore the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged, for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. So listen to this. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his sister. His own heart is uncertain. His sister's is sure. Sisters have this tenacity where they're able to stand grounded in the faith and remind us and encourage us and press us on and speak God's word to us to help us keep moving forward too. And this is why I think there's something uniquely powerful and moving when you see the perseverance of women. I think of, in the New Testament in particular, the women who followed Jesus. Like, we talk all the time about how Jesus, everyone abandoned him. His disciples abandoned him. But guess what? The women who followed Jesus didn't. We see picture after picture where, after everyone's gone, the women who followed Jesus are still following him. As he's carrying the cross and the men are run away scared, the women are following him. As Jesus is getting hung on a cross, the women are there witnessing it. When Jesus rose from the dead, the women were the ones who were going to the tomb. They stayed faithful to Jesus even when all hope was gone. Even when death had taken their only hope, they remained faithful. And throughout the history of the church, some of the most prominent faith-strengthening stories that we have are faithful women. For instance, I'm thinking of one of my favorite stories from the early church of a woman named Perpetua. And Perpetua was this young mother who lived during the Roman Empire, and she was arrested and sentenced to death because she was a Christian. And what made this even more heartbreaking was she had a baby boy that she was still breastfeeding. And her father was so trying to persuade her to turn from the faith, he even used that against her to say, hey, why don't you think of your son? Surely your baby boy needs you alive. Just turn from the faith. Does it really matter? And Perpetua, what she does is she's you know, in jail, and she notices a jar there. A jar is like the like, least moving thing I can think of, but that's what was there. She saw a jar, and she said, you see this jar here? Uh, she uses it as an example. And, uh, and she says, this jar is a jar. You can't call it something else because that's what it is. And she says, in the same way, I cannot call myself anything other than what I am, a Christian. Even in the face of her child being taken away from her, her child losing the mother, she remained steadfast. And in prison, in her sisterly bond, she bonded with another young mother in prison. And together, they courageously faced wild beasts and gladiators, singing psalms and praising God, remaining faithful unto death. Like, that has power to it. These sisters who remained steadfast in the faith. And so when I think of my sisters in the faith in the past, but also in the present, the thing that keeps coming back to me is I think of sisters, women of faithfulness. And women remain faithful. Women who have been through the ringer. Women who have no reason to hope And yet they keep the faith, they fight the good fight, they persevere. And because of our relationship with those sisters, we're all better off. We all learn to take one more step forward. So the tenacity of sisterhood, the second thing is the bond of sisterhood. The bond of sisterhood. And this one I'll be real brief on. When Jesus comes, Mary, she talks with Jesus, then she goes, Martha comes and talks to Jesus, then she goes and gets Mary. And when Mary comes to Jesus, it looks so different from Martha. But there's a beautiful picture here. So in uh, verse 32, we'll skip down there. So it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Again, this is, it's almost word for word, but there's some slight differences with Martha. And with Mary, she falls at the feet of Jesus, saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. So she falls at the feet of Jesus, weeping, weeping. She begins saying the same thing Martha does, word for word, but it's almost like she couldn't get the rest of the words out. You know what I mean? Like she's just, she, she's just crying at the feet of Jesus, and notice, Jesus' response to her is different as well. So here's what happens in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. So here's what I want you to see. As Jesus sees his spiritual sister at his feet weeping, it awakens something inside of him. It rouses his anger and indignation towards death. And ultimately, what does it do? It moves him towards action. He sees Mary weeping and he goes, where's Lazarus? The tears of Mary drive Jesus towards Lazarus' tomb where he's going to call him out and bring him back to life. And here's what I want you to see in this. Mary had a bond with Jesus and this commitment to Jesus. And in the midst of that, what does, Jesus, what does Mary do? She invites Jesus and welcomes Jesus Into her heart, into her life, into even her pain. And there's something about sisterhood where sisters create this certain bond, right? And we kind of can see this in life where sisters kind of become the glue that kind of holds sibling bonds together. And Mary and Martha's bond, you can see their bond to Lazarus and that they went and pursued Jesus because of their care and concern for Lazarus. They were willing to do what others wouldn't do. But Mary, her spiritual friendship with Jesus, we see her invite him into her life. Sisters invite others and welcome others into their very hearts. And we actually need that. We need those kinds of relationships. We need that kind of depth. Now, this can very easily in womanhood, for sure, be twisted, right? And really, all of these can be twisted by sin and brokenness to where this kind of bond that sisters create can become a cutting off to punish somebody. Or this bond can now be built upon comparison or competition, But the gold here is that we see in these sisterly bonds, we see a kind of hospitality, a welcoming, a receptivity that is uniquely feminine. A welcome into their very hearts. A way that our sisters invite us in to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And we can see Jesus being invited and welcomed into Mary's Her weeping led to a beautiful moment in scripture where Jesus himself weeps over Lazarus' death. And not only in the weeping, but we're going to see here in a moment, Mary also invites Jesus into her celebrating. Once Lazarus is raised from the dead, they feast together, remembering what Jesus has done. So we see this bond that sisterhood creates. And the last thing I want you to see is the blessing of sisterhood. The blessing of sisterhood. Now, by blessing, I don't just mean the good things or something like that and wrap it in spiritual language. Uh, The idea of blessing is really God bringing his presence and peace and kingdom into the world. Blessing is where things are the way that they should be. And there's a way that sisterhood actually brings that and invites that into our lives. So the story goes on to describe Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. He answers the prayers of the sisters and brings Lazarus back. And sometime later, Mary and Martha invite Jesus over for a feast to celebrate. And at this feast, we see something amazing that Mary does. So in John 12 we'll start in verse 2. It says so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining at with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, there are so many things we could say about this moment, but I just want to hone in on a moment for the blessing and wisdom of sisterhood. Mary, in this moment, was able to see something no one else did. Judas kind of representing us as people, Judas just saw the value of ointment, right? He's like, just sell this, and it can be used for other things. Mary saw through that and saw the value of Jesus, and not only saw the value of Jesus, had the courage to act, to actually break open that ointment on his feet, not getting permission, just breaking it open and worshiping Jesus. And she was able to offer something in that moment to the people in that room, but also to us 2,000 years later. In fact, think of it, the fragrance of her offering, it says spread and filled the entire house. And so if I could just put it as plainly as I can... Women see and hear things that men don't. Women see and hear things that men don't, right? Can I get like an amen or something out of that, right? Um, It's just a fact. And really, there's a biological fact to that too, where biologically, men and women's eyes are different. Men and women's ears are different. The way they see and hear is different, but there's also a spiritual reality as well. We have sisters in our lives that have unique insight and wisdom and they're able to offer up those as a blessing to others. Maybe some of that comes through the way they see something to pray for and engage that and they're faithful in their prayers for us. Maybe it's actually a spoken blessing that our sisters give to us. They notice something in our lives that we don't even see ourselves. Maybe it's just even the blessing of their presence being with us. But this wisdom and blessing flows out of them into others. And here's what I just want to say, women, your voice is valuable and welcome. We need a sister's voice in our lives. Like I think of this all the time. Me and my wife, we were talking about this earlier in the week, where, um, where there's so many ways that she, in essence, is kind of like a sister to me, where she points out what's better in the world and how things should be. I mean, if I was on my own, the way I would eat, the way I would look, the way I would live would all be way worse. Uh, it It just would. And her speaking those things out is actually a sisterly blessing of saying, here's what's good. Like, here's what's good. Here's a better way of doing things. And what's, what's funny, I think, is how often, as men in particular, we might look at something like that as nagging when it's actually the voice of our sisters speaking blessing into our lives. We need to hear that. We need to receive those things, receive the voice of our sisters. And so throughout this whole story, we see this scene play out where sisters are bringing blessing. I mean, Lazarus is alive because of his sisters, because his sisters went to Jesus, because his sisters pleaded with Jesus and fell down at his feet. Lazarus reaped the benefit of life itself from them. And even you think about the sisters' relationship with each other. As their relationship deepens with Jesus, notice the maturity that happens. It's kind of interesting and feels a bit subtle in this chapter, but um, in chapter 12 of John, we see echoes of what happens earlier, the scene that everyone knows where Martha is anxiously kind of working and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what we see in the scene is Martha's still serving, Mary's still sitting at the feet of Jesus, but you know what we don't see? We don't see the comparison We don't see the fighting. We see sisters who are actually able to welcome each other in their gifts for who they are and the blessings that they bring and the blessings that they bring. Women offer that blessing to others. Sisters, they keep us in line. They remind us to stay faithful. And the last thing I would say on this is this is why women are so crucial to keeping culture and even civilization itself. They stand firm and they fight for what's true and good and right and able to preserve it. So uh, Barbara uh, Mouser, she says this. She says, women have a key role to play in keeping not just their wombs, their houses, or even their souls. They are fundamental keepers of civilization and human heritage itself. Civilization is culture in a refined and developed state fostered by memory, morality, and manners. Such civilization endures only when it lives in the hearts and souls of its women. When morals, memory, manners, art, faith, and love perish in the women of any society, then their people are dead. No matter how brave or rich its men That civilization is dead because there is no real life or beauty left. Brave men may defend their honor unto death, perishing for relics and stones, but they will have no real and living civilization for which to fight. So let me end in this way. Can you just take a moment and imagine what our church would be like if we had Sisters who walked in their God-given feminine strength. Women, sisters who offered wisdom and blessing and depth of relationship and connection and faithfulness to the other men and women around them in their lives. As I said before, we actually need sisters. We need sisters who give us wisdom and are grounded in their faith and bless others. God, he has this vision for his people where he not only unites them to him, but unites them to each other, and he is making a beautiful family. He has adopted us, and he has invited us in, and this is a spiritual reality, so there's a sense where we are brothers and sisters, and this is also a calling, In any of this, we're going to see there's ways we can be better spiritual friends to each other. There's ways that we can aim for it. And as a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, what I want to encourage you to do is, like, let's aim to love one another with sisterly and brotherly affection, to become better spiritual friends. To see in the other actually something we need, something valuable. And when we fail, the grace of Jesus has actually brought us into this, brought broken people into this family, marked by his grace. We have grace for one another. We love one another. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I think one of the most astounding things that I still can't wrap my head around is the fact that Jesus The Lord of everything, the one who created everything would look at us broken people and not be ashamed to call us brother and sister and friend.